All right, welcome back into another episode of the Rebuild Podcast. This is a special draft recap episode of the Rebuild, so thank you so much for being with me after what was uh, a new experience for Browns fans over the weekend, not having a first-round draft pick. So we will get to all of that, the Browns draft picks, uh, which were good, which are questionable, which were bad, all of that stuff, other observations from a draft weekend. Uh, once again, I'm your host, Jordan Zerm. You can find me on Twitter at Cleve Zerm. You can find some of my writing on Uproxx, where this morning I got to write a piece about NBA players losing their minds over Game of Thrones uh, on the weekend. So really bringing you tough investigative journalism that you can only find at Uproxx. I hope all of you were able to make it through the weekend, whether you saw Avengers Endgame, whether you were watching the NFL Draft, whether you were watching that episode of Game of Thrones last night. I did all three of those things in one weekend. And I'm going to tell you what, without giving any spoilers, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be uh, Jordan, a.k.a. LaShawn McCoy, who, if I can just briefly comment on LaShawn McCoy spoiling something that happens in Avengers Endgame. I I do not follow LaShawn McCoy because the only reasons you would follow LaShawn McCoy are, A, if you're a Philadelphia Eagles fan and you really liked him during his time there, B, you're a Buffalo Bills fan, or C, you are just intrigued by the weird-slash-slightly-creepy person that LaShawn McCoy is. I hope none of us have forgotten when he put out a flyer for a party he was having and it said something like ladies 18 and over wearing a specific type of outfit are the only ones invited. LaShawn McCoy's a weird dude. But I don't follow him. So I kept seeing people tweeting about LaShawn McCoy uh, spoiled Avengers Endgame. I can't believe he did this. I can't believe it. And I was like, cool, I won't see it because I don't follow him. I will not click on any articles that talk about his tweets. Uh, I'm good. And I just very briefly want to say Chris D'Elia is a comedian who I very much enjoy, love his stand-ups, love his podcast called Congratulations, follow him on Twitter, on Instagram, he's very, very funny. Chris D'Elia responded to LaShawn McCoy, basically scolding him for ruining part of Avengers Endgame. And because Twitter has just can't get anything right in general in terms of how that website is created and user experience and all of that stuff. It decided some time ago that if somebody you follow replies to somebody, even if you don't follow that person, that tweet is going to show up in your timeline so you can see what the person was responding to. So that is how I had part of Cap- or, uh, excuse me, Avengers Endgame spoiled is because Chris D'Elia responded to LaShawn McCoy and I just, I hate everybody. And that's all that I want to say about that. So LaShawn McCoy, you're already on the list. Chris D'Elia, I don't, uh, you know, I've paid money to see your stand up a couple times. I'm going to have to reevaluate those decisions. I'm going to, it's by no fault of your own, but also now I'll never watch another stand up of yours again. So uh, there we go with that. Um, Between the two, I did not have the emotional connection with the Avengers and Marvel Universe in general that I do with Game of Thrones. I got really, really into Game of Thrones a couple seasons after it debuted, so much so so that I bought all the books a couple summers ago and read all of them. And that is not something I ever pictured myself doing in life. 
not reading in general, but also reading five books that are all close to a thousand pages or over. Um, and I did it. I got so n nerd heavy into it and the world that George R. R. Martin has created that Game of Thrones became this very, this thing I was very deeply connected to where Avengers was just kind of like, this is, you know, Iron Man, Captain America, all this. A lot of it I got into partially because some of the films were filmed in Cleveland, especially Captain America Winter Soldier, which is one of my favorites. Uh, large parts of them, of these movies anyway, were filmed in Cleveland. Um, and because I, I enjoy that genre, I enjoy the superhero movies, I enjoy all that, but I just didn't have an emotional connection to it like I did with Game of Thrones. And having said that, the Avengers Endgame gave me an emotional response that Game of Thrones probably hasn't done in a couple of seasons. So... Um, Go see Avengers Endgame, even if you're not somebody who is really, really closely tied to those films or has any emotional connection to them. That movie is um, maybe the best action film I've ever seen. So I, anyway, I won't go any further than that because I know people still haven't seen either Game of Thrones last night, which had its moments too, um, but Avengers Endgame... Uh, stirred something in me that I don't think I've had stirred by something on screen in a very long time. So shout out to the Russo brothers, Cleveland natives, for putting together a masterpiece in what, you know, if there's something that these things had in common, Game of Thrones, last night's episode, really the last couple of seasons, and um, Avengers Endgame, it is taking multiple main characters having them all in the same place and trying to tell a story while giving enough, having to choose whose story it is, how much screen time certain characters have, and just like Avengers Endgame did it flawlessly over three hours, and that's just amazing to me. But um, I, will, I will get away from that, If uh, but uh, congratulations to you if you survived the weekend of content, or a lot of content this weekend, and I am happy to announce that I did. I made it. I made it through you guys, and here I am on a Monday morning. Um, but this is the rebuild. This is the Blue Wire Network. If you have not checked out all of the podcasts underneath Blue Wire's umbrella as we continue to grow, please do so. Please check out Brown's Film Breakdown. Please check out um, the Chase Down Pod, a Cavs uh, podcast. There's so much stuff there. Blue Wire is just continually adding pieces. They just had Joe Budden guest on a New York Giants podcast, which is an amazing thing. So the names we're getting, the people we're having on the community we're building is really, really cool. So uh, if you're interested in other podcasts under Blue Wire, uh, please go check those out. You can go to art 19 dot com slash blue wire check those out there as well as obviously itunes spotify stitcher and all that good stuff but this is the rebuild and here we talk about the cleveland football browns and it is time to get into the 2019 nfl draft which featured the cleveland browns not having a first round pick since 1921 i think i looked that up and that is factually correct and there is no way that you can tell me that i'm wrong there because uh, that's what it was and you know, we uh, people got a lot of jokes off. Congratulations to all 100 people on Twitter I saw make the joke of uh, at number 17, the Cleveland Browns select Odell Beckham Jr. Sometimes Twitter is a uh, not a creative place, but I appreciate all the effort that went into that joke. But it was maybe my entire timeline when the number 17 pick got there. So it went from being like, oh, that's pretty creative to, oh, nope, everybody on Twitter has the exact same joke. I will say it was really, really enjoyable to... It was like looking in a mirror. The New York Giants were like looking into a, a mirror of like the of five years ago of the Cleveland Browns. 
the New York Giants did not only with starting with the Odell Beckham Jr. trade, starting with the giving Eli Manning an extension, starting with, or picking up his option, I should say, starting with giving Golden Tate a fairly large contract after you just jettisoned uh, a younger, much better wide receiver, sort of signaling that maybe you're rebuilding, and then signing Golden Tate. Then you then the Giants go into the draft and take Daniel Jones at number six overall, um, a guy who sort of looks like he is a dentist's apprentice who's just learning how to clean teeth. Daniel Jones sort of looks like the guy at a bank who would yell at a teller. Daniel Jones looks like, I tweeted this, he looks like the caddy. Like you're out on the course, you're on like hole number three, and you're like, hey man, um, do you have any advice? Because you've been silent this whole time, you've just been on your phone. And he's a dude's like, oh man, my dad got me this job, I don't really even like golf, man. I'm just trying to stack my bread until I can get to college in the summer, you know, go wild. Daniel Jones is that guy, and the Giants took him over Dwayne Haskins, even over like Drew Locke. Just really incredible stuff. If you haven't seen some of the reactions around Twitter to when Daniel Jones was actually drafted number six overall by the Giants, you should you should go check those out immediately. Um, just really, it's just a very surreal experience to watch an entire timeline come together to make fun of a football team, and that football team is not the Cleveland Browns. So that was a really enjoyable experience to just roast Dave Gettleman, who is a who was either sent here by the football gods to troll us into oblivion, and if that is the case, then I thank them, because the amount of entertainment that that man has brought, the NFL, just football fans in general, I guess people, anyone outside of New York Giants fans, who I'm sure are having a miserable time, but that man is a treasure, and we should protect him, and we should um, swaddle him, and we should just really... Dave Gettleman needs to survive as the general manager of the New York Giants for as long as possible. Because then today, somebody asked him about some of the criticisms that he got for taking Daniel Jones overall. And he said that a guy in a bagel shop came up to him and said, nice pick, Dave. And and he used that as an example of why the pick is going to be okay and why people feel like he did a good job. So Dave Gettleman is currently wandering around New York City stopping in various restaurants and uh, coffee shops with like a shirt on that says I drafted Daniel Jones just to see like if he can get any compliments and then relay them to reporters. So um, Dave Gettleman is a hero and protect him at all costs. The Browns, so the Browns didn't have a first round pick. Um, The first round was still very eventful. Kyler Murray going number one overall wearing a pink suit influenced by Leonardo DiCaprio and The Great Gatsby, which Kyler Murray referred to as his favorite movie, which is not only a tragedy, but also, you know, call it a book. It's a book. So it was a book. Um, you know, I'm, I I read it in middle school, high school. I forget when it was assigned to me, but like, look, I'm not that, I'm only 30. Like, it's not that long ago that that book was still being circulated around in high school classrooms as required reading. That made me feel very old. So Kyler Murray wore an all-pink suit, 
wore some beautiful uh, Air Jordan 1 lows that were customized for him by Nike and got taken number one overall after, you know, some people thought he wasn't even going to play football. So not a bad come up for one Kyler Murray, uh, who now helms the Arizona Cardinals while poor Josh Rosen, uh, I guess I shouldn't say poor, he's getting shipped off to South Beach. He's going to have a chance to start and, and play for the Dolphins. So as far as terrible situations go, he is landing somewhere about the best place that he could. So we'll see what happens with Josh Rosen, but man, Kyler Murray really just swooped in on him, swooped in and stole his girl. And uh, now Josh Rosen is in Florida. So uh, we'll see how that ends up. Uh, The Raiders uh, decided to be the Raiders and took Cleveland Farrell, a man I uh, interviewed for Uproxx a couple weeks ago. Nicest human being in the world, really thoughtful, really... um, I don't know, really fun interview. One of those interviews, you hang up the phone and you just feel like good about the conversation you had with him. It was really fun on, on my end, and I um, think he gave some really, really thoughtful answers about stuff. But, you know, the Raiders took him at number four overall, and now he's going to have to live up to that hype as somebody who probably should not have gone number four overall. Uh, we mentioned Daniel Jones, um, who is going to have the number six pick attached to his name for the rest of his life. Uh, so that was, you know, those were the things that sort of jumped out of the first round. Um, and then we got to night two and the Browns finally had a pick and they moved up a couple spots from 49 to 46. And they took Greedy Williams from, from LSU, a cornerback who has a top five cornerback name, you know, Buster Screen held that, that trophy of best cornerback name in Browns history. And that has now been passed along to Greedy Williams, who is better than Buster Screen, will probably make a bigger impact than Buster Screen, and Greedy is just an incredible nickname. Also, he said that he was nicknamed Greedy, not because, like, I th- he starts it off and he's like, yeah, you know, I was just grabbing for everything. Like, I thought maybe he just ate a lot, or, you know, he had, like, one serving of food and was like, I need more, 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 and everybody was like, damn, you greedy. No, it was, it was strictly because he drank so much milk. He said he drank, he just had cups and cups of milk. So his mom was like, you're greedy. But for milk, 2% probably when he was little. They didn't have all those those choices. And as a kid, you don't want to drink skim. No one wants to drink skim milk when you're a child. And there's no almond milk and um, silk milk. Like if he, he didn't know he was if he was lactose intolerant. So Greedy Williams got his nickname because he couldn't stop drinking milk, which is really, we're not talking about this enough. And I think really just increases the amazingness of the name Greedy Williams. Um, But on a serious note, this is, you know, the rest of the Browns draft we will get to, the context is so different as for once in their history, they're looking to add depth. They're looking to take chances on some guys at at certain positions, really drafted defense heavy until uh, the later rounds. So just a really different feeling draft for the Browns. But um, Greedy Williams... I think makes up for any other pick that you may feel somebody was overdrafted or um, they took the wrong person in the wrong spot. Greedy Williams to some people, multiple people that I follow and read who are very smart at breaking down players had Greedy Williams as a top 20 player overall in this draft. Uh, Pro Football Focus called the Brown selection of Greedy Williams at 46, quote, highway robbery. Um, People, so there's some people that had him, had him as a top 10 player in this draft. And he was by far, I think, to a lot of people as well, if not the best cornerback in this draft, certainly the best cover corner in this draft. And it does not take a lot of film watching um, to understand why people were so high on Greedy Williams and his covered skills. 
you know, a lot of people use the word he mirrors the receivers really, really well, which is essentially some football, you know, jargon for in the in the things in the possessions I've watched, I watched multiple games of him. He does not, I've never seen someone not bite on a double move like ever, and he just does not. His patience and his ability to sort of read a receiver's hips or his eyes and just understand like a double move is coming and be able to just stay right on his hip and not fall for it at all, at all is something that you see multiple times on tape. Um, and I think that's a really, like, that's an incredible thing to me to, to just watch somebody be able to run the route for the wide receiver, which is another thing that you hear from, from Greedy Williams about Greedy Williams, I should say, and how special of a skill that is and how well it's going to complement Denzel Ward, who is also really, really good, especially in man coverage at sort of reading guys' routes and watching film and learning tendencies about guys' routes. There's an interview with Greedy Williams from a couple years ago at LSU when they were asking him about, um, I I forget what game it was, but a certain game where he had a really good performance. And um, first of all, he has a quote where he says, the quarterback gets two chances to throw at me. One, maybe it'll, it'll work, but the second time it's not happening, which I love and his confidence I love. But then later on in that conversation, and probably more important was him talking about he had a brief quote where he said, well, you know, I watched on film and I knew what route he was going to run. I knew what was happening. He was talking about an interception that he made. And um, film study for a guy like Greedy and for a guy like Denzel, uh, young guys that are going to grow in the NFL together, is a really big deal. And it seems like both of them um, are already putting in a lot of effort into that area. And that's really, really exciting. Um I tweeted out one video from on my Twitter account at Clevesurm, um, where and, and then saw somebody write about it later. It was a game where LSU was playing Auburn, and um, the res- Auburn's receiver at wide to the left, who Greedy was covering, ran a little bit of a fade down the sideline, and Greedy played this technique where he was able to sort of keep his hands on the wide receiver's hips and sort of feel him going down the sideline, but then also kept his head sort of turned towards the quarterback. And it allowed him to go up and intercept a pass that was a little bit underthrown because he was watching the QB, but he was also at the same time sort of feeling where the wide receiver was going down the sideline. And that allowed him to stay with that receiver and allowed him to sort of jump at the exact time to come down with an interception. Um, And it was a really cool thing. And and somebody tweeted about how this is sort of a newer technique that cornerbacks have been training on and how, how Greedy has sort of mastered this way to play a fade like that, where you you turn your body into the wide receiver so you can feel him, but then you can also see where the ball is coming. And for so many quarterbacks or get cornerbacks who are getting flags thrown because they're not looking for the ball, um, especially on go routes or, or routes further down the field, like that's a big deal. Um, and I think if that's something that Greedy has really mastered and is going to be able to bring to the NFL level, I think that's huge. And so this pick for the Browns is an is an absolute win. And to be able to have Greedy Williams and Denzel Ward playing opposite each other for the next five to ten years is, is a huge deal. And it is a, it's a big deal for a defense that, with Steve Wilkes and, and an overall philosophy about stopping the pass. Um, and, and Freddie Kitchens had a quote that he gave to ESPN um, after the draft that I thought was really, really telling where he said, quote, from a team perspective, this is a pass-oriented league. You need to be able to throw the ball, and you need to be able to stop people from throwing the ball. End of that quote. Um, Freddie Kitchens 
comes off as an old school dude, like his southern drawl. He played at Alabama. He's this big dude that sort of has this aw shucks thing about him. Like in another, there's another world or another timeline where Freddie Kitchens is like, we got to run the ball 30 times a game. But he's not that guy. He's a guy that is very much in line with what the modern NFL is. And I think you saw that in his play calling when he was offensive coordinator. And now I think you're seeing it in the Browns' overall draft philosophy. And when you have a coach like that who sort of has the mindset that he knows what the league has become and the Browns are doing things to counteract that offensive revolution, it's a huge deal. It's a really huge deal. It's a huge deal here in Cleveland where we have had coaches who are handing the ball off to a fullback at the goal line or handing the ball off to a tight end at the goal line. Um, It's a big deal to have a coach that is looking ahead at what the modern NFL is. And it's a big deal to have a general manager who is going to select somebody like Baker Mayfield and then the next draft is going to take somebody like Greedy Williams because they want to shore up the secondary with speed and with guys with covered skills because so many teams... Um, if you look at the Rams and you look at the Chiefs that are leading this offensive revolution, guys are throwing the ball more than ever. It's a passing league, and the Browns are recognizing that. And so that makes this pick even better. Not only did the Browns get who some people feel is a top 10, top 20 pick at number 46, um, but he's a guy that fits what defenses need to do to sort of counteract this this offensive revolution. And that's a really, really huge deal, and that should not be underlooked. So Greedy Williams, an incredible pick, and cannot wait to see what he and Denzel Ward can do. Obviously, the biggest concern about Greedy is his tackling skills, um, which feels very overblown for a corner. And, and the footage I was watching, yeah, he's a corner. He tries to tackle with his, with his shoulder. He tries to take guys' legs out. He's not going to come hit you and wrap up. He's a smaller guy. Um, but he was bringing guys down, and I think... You know, as John Dorsey said, is is are you getting the guy down eventually? Then you know your your first and your the priority of your job is to cover, um, and we'll let other people worry about hitting. Uh, that should be do- their number one priority. It should be tackling, and, and that's not what the cornerback position is. So I think the biggest critique of him is probably the most overblown too. So um, yeah, Greedy Williams, wonderful pick, and sort of make you know not that. I'd be lying to you if, if I said I knew a lot of Sioni, Taki Taki, another incredible name. The first three picks, we'll get to their third. The first three picks have incredible names by the Browns, so that's a good thing, I think. Um, Sione Taki Taki, linebacker out of BYU. Um, a lot of people and a lot of articles I've read and just opinions from people I trust just talk about it feels like a bit of a reach for where they took him at number 80. Um there were boards that had him as ranked as the 100th to 110th best player in the draft. Um, so maybe a little bit of a reach there for the Browns. His pros are that he's really good in coverage and he's made an impact against the run. Um, he, he used to be an edge defender. They moved him to, to linebacker. You know, and so you would assume that this is somebody that's going to provide some depth um, for the linebacker position, and and if you get more out of him, then then great. But you feel like at number eighty that maybe you could you could have gotten a player that was going to make more of an impact. And the Browns still just don't have, in terms of their linebacking core, and a guy that's making a huge Im- a huge impact. Whether that's tackles for loss or getting after the quarterback or or whatever it is, they just don't have that guy yet. Um, they have guys that are fine and, and, and good. You know, Joe Sherbert's a very good player. He's also very good in coverage. Um, Christian Kirksey's sort of the same. You're just getting guys who are above average football players, but they're not, you know, 
Khalil Mack or they're not Von Miller or guys that are, you know, rotating and, and getting down to stance or playing line, or whatever it is. They just don't have that guy. And uh, I don't think Sione Taki Taki is it. I don't, I don't know if, if Mac Wilson, the linebacker, they took it um, 155, the linebacker out of, out of Alabama, who people have said have kind of came out a year early um, because he, he just wanted to, he felt like he needed to start supporting his family and, and, and all of that. Um, another guy who's just not going to jump out at you in terms of elite athleticism or elite um, just abilities as a linebacker, even though Mac Wilson is a former five-star recruit and played at Alabama. So, you know, those two guys more for depth reasons and, and we'll sort of see how they fit in to the Browns plans and, and rotations at linebacker and where they're going to go with that. Um, Sheldrick Redwine, another great name, the Browns third pick. Um, in, in this draft, they took him at number 119, safety out of Miami. First of all, Sheldrick Redwine should probably be a Game of Thrones character, so we're going to give plus five points for that. So that's already a boost for Sheldrick. Um, the dude's the dude is athletic as all hell. Ran a 4440, 39-inch vertical. Um, his swag rating that they took at the NFL Combine, it's a new thing. You guys probably haven't heard about it, but they're testing for swag now. Um, his swag was in the 99th percentile, way, way up there. Uh, he was one of the main wearers of Miami's turnover chain, which I hope now comes to Cleveland, and maybe they could turn it into like a bedazzled necklace of uh, um, uh, of Chomps, the dog, uh, uh, or Swagger, the dog. <laughs> Perfect. You can make it a chain, a blinged-out chain of Swagger, uh, and that could be the Browns' turnover chain. I still want the Browns to bring back the touchdown sunglasses, but Josh Gordon and Corey Coleman aren't here anymore, so I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, also a big hitter, so really physical um, at that safety position. Uh, I guess, you know, consistency issues were some knocks on him at Miami. Also, effort issues were a bit of a knock on him at Miami. He didn't fully, um, if he was losing on a, on a route or losing in sort of a chase down or, or getting to the ball, he, he had the tendency to give up a little bit, which, you know, hopefully at the NFL level, that's something that's not going not gonna to slide. Um, but he has decent ball skills. Um, he's played some box safety where he's played well against the run, which is always a benefit when you, you know, the Browns obviously lost their box safety in Jabril Peppers in the, in the trade for, for Odell Beckham Jr. They signed Morgan Burnett from, from the Green Bay Packers. Uh, you, you have Demarius Randall, who is really, really good and more of a sort of free safety guy. But, um, Sheldrick Redwine, I think has, it seems like a guy with a, if you're getting everything you can get out of him, he's going to be a physical big hitter. He's going to be really, really fast. So he's going to be able to cover a lot of ground, whether he's you know trying to close down a route, whether he's going for the ball, whether he's chasing down a wide receiver, whatever it may be. Um, I think that's really that's that's big, and I think obviously with his speed and athleticism, the Browns are creating a secondary that um, is going to be flying around everywhere, and that's obviously not some that's not a negative. <laughs> of anything, that's a huge positive. So we'll see what else Sheldrick Redwine brings. Sounds like consistency has been his biggest issue, and we'll see what Steve Wilkes can do um, with him to sort of get him to kind of fit into that secondary. But you have to be excited about his positives. Um, and we'll see where he... There's been some speculation already that he's going to start on special teams and he's going to be a special teams guy for a while until he can sort of prove what his usefulness is in that secondary. But I think his his positives and his athleticism are, are all things that you can get excited about. So Taki Taki and Redwine, I think, you know, have as many questions as they have um, positives. But 
the Browns are fortunately now in a position where they can draft a little bit for depth and they can draft for some of these positions that they need to shore up in terms of linebackers in the secondary. And, you know, they didn't take an offensive player until they took Austin Siebert, the kicker out of Oklahoma, which I feel like kickers that get drafted are never good. Um, we've seen this happen in Tampa Bay of late. It just feels like guys that, you know, Mike Nugent taken out of Ohio State, I feel like just has not, has had an average career, like he's okay. So you just worry a little bit about taking kickers. Um, but Siebert was really good from, from under 50 yards at Oklahoma this past season. I think he only missed two. Um, so, you know, I, I think the Browns felt as many as of us did that you can't just go into the season with Greg Joseph and be like, let's go. This is our guy. You either have to have some competition for him or you just got to move on from him outright. Um, and I think that's what Austin Siebert, the, the selection of him does here. I think that, you know, Drew Forbes, the offensive lineman uh, who sort of projects as a guard at the NFL level out of southeastern Missouri State, really big dude, took him at 189, six foot five, 305 pounds, but didn't get invited to the senior bowls. A lot of guys, you know, who um, come from small schools usually do, which which was weird. Um, Matt Miller from Bleacher Report, their, their draft analyst, called him a, quote, sneaky good interior offensive line prospect. So love to use sneaky good, all about the sneaky good moniker here. So that's great. Um, so we'll see. I, I think he's a big dude and he puts people on their ass, at least at Southeast Missouri State. And how that translates to the NFL remains to be seen. But there seems to be more people who are um, intrigued by Drew Forbes' potential, like a lot of them, um, more so than just a guy that you took in the sixth round who you're just like, well, I guess. Um, and then, you know, seventh round pick, 221st overall, Donnie Lewis Jr., cornerback from Tulane, which I know nothing about. So I'm not even going to comment because he probably won't make the team. But shout out to Donnie Lewis. Congratulations on getting drafted. Uh, Tulane has a great logo. And uh, let's get it. Uh, and another thing I wanted to point out, too, was um, I was watching uh, Building the Browns. Uh, the the fourth episode that came out yesterday and Freddie Kitchens was talking about uh, that sort of voluntary little mini camp that they just had where everybody made a big deal that Odo Beckham Jr. wasn't there. You know who else wasn't there? Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry wasn't there either. It's going to be okay. Um, he was talking about that they are already installing some stuff that Todd Munkin did in Tampa Bay. And that, that gets me excited. I'm so ready for this Freddie Kitchens, Todd Munkin monster marriage offense and what it's going to look like. And they're already putting stuff in there. So that's, uh, that's really great. And that's really fun. Uh, and my body is very much ready for that. So, um, excited for the potential of Odell Beckham Jr., Baker Mayfield and Todd and Freddie and combining their forces and all that stuff. So, um, so yeah, that, that was the 2019 NFL draft. That was what it was like to watch a team that um, is not the worst team in the league. That's what it's like watching a draft where you don't have to um, freak out about whoever they take in the top five and if it's going to be the right player. That was an experience that was so different but so much more relaxing. And um, I hope that continues for a very long time. As fun as it is, as fun as the intrigue and the being able to break, you know, watch a ton of quarterback film. Like I had a lot of fun doing that. I feel like I learned more about football in the past couple of years just because of the potential of the Browns taking a quarterback 
in the first, you know, with a with a top ten pick. I think more than I ever have. Um, so I will always be grateful for that. But it is a really, really great thing to not have to sit on your couch and just shotgun a beer to calm your nerves because you don't, you know, they're just going to screw something up. And um, I just think the the confidence in which this Browns front office is moving, the sort of it feels like there is synergy between the coaching staff and the front office. It feels like there is they're just in lockstep with each other for the first time in a really, really long time as far as team building, as far as what they're looking for in prospects and all of that. And that's really, really exciting. And I think that all kind of came to a head with Greedy Williams and, and moving up a couple spots for him to make sure that they got him and focusing on the side of the ball that, you know, ne- probably needed to be focused on on the defensive side and really just shoring up uh, with depth and, and stabilizing the secondary a little more. Um, the Browns secondary all of a sudden has a lot of depth and a lot of good players with Terrence Mitchell and, um, you know, Greedy Williams and, and Denzel and, and all those guys. So it's a... Uh, it's going to be fun, and now we move to um, the next phase of the offseason, which is will be rookie minicamp, and um, we'll get to see Greedy Williams in action a little bit, and that'll be fun. Um, and then as uh, we'll have a break, and um, before you know it, it's going to be June, July, and training camp is going to be around the quarter, corner, and it's going to be bananas, and I can't wait. So um, thanks for hanging out. Listen to my draft recap. Hope you guys learned a little bit more about the prospects. Um, there's so much good stuff out there to read about these guys. Pro Football Focus has a really good um, recap of the Browns draft. Um, Jake Burns, obviously, go listen to Browns Film Breakdown. Uh, go read his stuff at cleveland.com. He wrote a really good thing about about Greedy Williams. Um, I try to tweet out some fun clips that I've been able to watch, and we'll try to do that more with some of these other players I haven't gotten to. But I did some stuff on Greedy Williams, so you can go to uh, at Cleavesarm with that. Um, we'll have another episode this week. We're going, you know, two episodes one week. Watch out. The rebuild really taking off. Um, once again, thank you to everybody who listens. Um, again, please go to iTunes and rate and uh, subscribe, excuse me, and rate the podcast. Really appreciate everybody who has done that. Um, it continues to help. Not only my podcast, but Blue Wire in general grow as we continue to kind of try and do bigger and bigger things. Um, And again, check out all the podcasts underneath the Blue Wire umbrella. We have one for almost every team and every sport. So um, check it out as as we move forward towards what's going to be a really, really special and incredible season for the Cleveland Browns. And another... um, This is another milestone that we can check off as we move forward to the 2019 season and what is hopefully a team that is chasing a playoff berth and an AFC North title. And Greedy Williams and Sheldrick Redwine and Sion Takitaki and Mac Wilson and all these guys, uh, they're going to be along for the ride. They're here to help. And it's going to be fun watching them develop and seeing who fits, who maybe they whiffed on. and uh, and how everything is going to come together. But uh, again, thank you for listening. I'll be back later this week with another episode, so please stay tuned for that. And uh, Jordan Zoom, signing off. <laughs>